Hello and welcome to another episode of 100 Steps to Drag, a podcast where every week I sit with a different drag artist and I ask them, how did you become this iconic figure that you are today? Episode numero dos. So I'm like still trying things out. I'm still trying, you know, what intro works best. Oh my God. Um, you're literally my second episode guest. Dose. Dose. <laughs> I'm so excited. Dose. I, no, I'm the one that numero got excited. Yes, because I mean, my guest today is an iconic dragging extraordinaire that is doing great things for the community here I in Los that. Angeles. It's Johnny, gentlemen. Johnny, thank you for being uh, here. Also, um, I'm now just Johnny, gentleman, just as a FYI. Okay, sorry, Johnny, gentleman. <laughs> you know what? You know, reinventing yeah. ourselves. It's a new, new me. <laughs> Literally, it's a new chapter of life. You know, it's yeah. it's totally fine. It's a new beginning. I feel like people don't don't know that a lot of the times when they start doing drag, they're like, oh, I have this drag name and I'm going to stick with it until the end of my career. And that's totally not the case. Mm-mm. No, there's been plenty of like drag artists that have reinvented their name. There's many that uh, like zhuzh it up a little bit. Let's talk about like you, which is the subject of, of this, this podcast. Like, <laughs> were you born and raised in L.A. or were you from uh, somewhere else? Like... Where were you born and how did you discover drag? I was born in Montclair, California, raised in Chino, California. You know, the the hood uh, <laughs> <laughs> off of Fifth Street and Riverside, you know, hey. I'm a hood kid <laughs> through and through. But uh, yeah, so I was, I'm the, uh, the third child of four girls and I was born female. Parents are watermelon and Nicaraguan. So we are first generation. So growing up, I was raised in a very Catholic military household since my mom was a sergeant in the military for 25 years. And then my dad was also in the military in Nicaragua during the civil civil war in uh, 80, I think it was like 80, 79 or something. Or I'm, I'm bad at those dates, but uh, he fled over here for safety. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was born and raised in a Catholic military family, a very misogynistic uh, role based where, you know, I was, I never really saw myself as a female person. I always wanted to dress up like a boy or I never liked dresses. And it's funny now that I realize it, I feel that I started drag at like seven, technically. <laughs> <laughs> when you started to like dress up and like, you know, other clothing, clothing and put the shows for your, you know, in your room. <laughs> oh, no, no. I wish so. No. So when I was in elementary school, there was like this troop. I don't know what they were. I don't know why they don't still have it because it was so fun. But it was like a day where this like troop would come into the school and before they come, you were given like a like a historical figure, whether it's about like American Revolution or mm. Greek history or mythology or, or whatever, whatever the topic was that we were learning in history at that time. And I remember they were giving out like, oh, we have the, the, the girls and the boys, you know, we have the famous people. And I remember going up to my teacher and I was like, I want a boy one and she was just like but you're a girl and I was like yeah but I don't want to wear a dress so can I get the boy one she was like but (laughs) how oh my goodness yeah (laughs) what and I was just like I want a boy one so I remember I still remember it my first ever 
Simon Drag was me in third grade as Thomas Paine. I had to deliver a dialogue. This is how drag it was. <laughs> how did I not know I was queer? I don't fucking know. But like, I got into the dialogue. I told my mom, I was like, mom, I need to be like American Revolution. Like, I just got off a horse with like two lanterns. Like, I need this realness. So we're bad. so into it. And <laughs> I was really into it. And and my mom is just like, you know, my I come from a family of seamstresses. I don't know how to sew, but they all do. So she made me the whole outfit, got me like a pirate hat because they didn't have the revolutionary hat. And then we just tilted it. <laughs> and I remember walking into school with my whole costume, just fucking fierce, walking <laughs> through being like, I am living my fantasy. I look so dope. I feel so good. And I killed the fucking dialogue. Everybody loved it. And like, I always looked forward to those things every year because it was only once a year. But it was like, I guess that's now that I think about it. I was like, that was the first time I was ever in drag and I didn't even know it. And I, now that I'm older and I do drag, it just made me realize, oh my God, I have loved personifying a masculine drag. Since forever. Like, forever, forever. I've always loved men's clothing. I always felt more comfortable, more confident in it. I always played like I was a dancer. I was a choreographer for quinceañeras when I was in high school, and I was the one that did like the taught the know, choreography. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I was coordinating coordinating the chambelanes. So it was yeah. just like I was doing all the the male parts. I was like, okay, you're doing the this this, and it's all that kind of stuff that just like out of nowhere just kind of forwarded me to drag. I think the first time I noticed about drag it was uh i had just graduated high school and i got introduced to logo <laughs> logo tv and logo tv <laughs> not and sponsored I watched, <laughs> right <laughs> and uh i just saw i literally saw it was when rupaul's drag race season two happened and i was such an odd because god i'm so gay um <laughs> I, I was a huge fan. My mom and I would love watching Tu Wong Fu all the time. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So when I got to see these drag queens and them transform and like their performance and lip sync, I was just like, this is fucking amazing. And I was, I've been addicted ever since. I'm a RuPaul Drag Race super fan since 2009. I didn't get into physical drag until after a very tragic moment in my life. Um, I was, and I was in a really big, deep depression and I literally only had like one friend and they're like, you know what? Like, let's go to this drag king show. And I'm like, what's a drag king show? I went and I saw it at Hamburger Mary's Long Beach. Uh, uh, it was Land Insider. Uh, Havoc Von Doom, Onyx Black. Uh, I love them. Love yeah, them all. They're just, it just blew my mind. And and the moment I saw Havoc perform and is uh, like the way he performs with so, such theatrics and movement and like choreography just hit me even harder because the number that he ironically did that night was the Green Ranger Power Rangers, which since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with the Green Ranger. So I was like, this is magic. A sign. What yes. the fuck is this? So I was like, I kind of want to try this. Because I was at that time, I was just kind of like, maybe I should just do things that I have been too chicken shit to actually do. That I've, yeah. I've just been too scared to do. 
And my friend's like, yeah, just, you know, sign up at 340 in Pomona and, you know, they let you perform there. They'll give you a date and you can do it. And so on November 18th of 2018, I performed at 340. My beginner name was Johnny V because Mm -hmm. I was like, that's a pretty like Jersey Shore name. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty Jersey Shore. I can imagine with the spiked hair and everything. (laughs) Yeah. And then I was just like, you know what? This is not, this is not, this is not me though. I was like, this isn't my aesthetic. And I kind of took gentlemen from the factor of everybody that I I was dating, especially AFAB people were like, why, why do you act like a gentleman if you're not a man? And then it's like, well, because I want to be respectful and I want to mm-hmm. be, you know, gentleman-like. And so that's where, you know, the gentleman and Johnny gentleman happened because I, I wanted to encourage everybody that anybody can be a gentleman. You don't have to be a certain gender. You can be a gentleman any shape, way, or form. And Johnny came from actually my older brother who my mom had a miscarriage before me. So it was an honor of him. And I always felt like he was a part of me, even though, you know, he wasn't, he didn't get to, you know, be birthed and have time here on earth, but I wanted to honor him in that way. So that's where Johnny Gentleman happened. And once I hit that floor at 340, I. The rest is history. That's it. Yeah. I just, I mean, I didn't have a great experience in Pomona. Um, so I just moved to LA, um, not physically moved to LA, but I would drive, I would drive like an hour, two hours just to go do a tip yeah. spot and to go see shows. Cause I was like, this is where I want to do drag. And it's definitely different. Like the scene from like one city to another, even though like they're so close mm-hmm. together, like it's, it's completely different. So I do see that. There's so much to unpack on this story. It's so beautiful. Like, first of all, I love the drag <laughs> on third grade. I'm sure that if those kids would have had dollar bills, right. I would have tipped you. You would, have, you know, you brought the house down. You were literally serving the children in elementary school. I love that. In the middle of Chino, in a hood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you were, you were serving them. Oh my God! So, I, and I also love that you're paying homage to your brother. I'm sure that that they are proud to see that. Is your family accepting of your drag now? Oh, I know that yeah, you also mentioned mom. that it's you know it was a very Catholic military family. Yeah, I had to hide drag for a little bit, and then they started to realize and see uh, that I would I would get out of the room and and go to the the club in like you know some weird ass contour on my face and and stuff like that. And um, I just imagined your mom my... being. I wonder where they're going. You know, like you know with that makeup, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god no i mean my mom my mom wasn't super encouraging about it in the beginning because in her words uh, it just kind of made her feel sad about not having her son and that my drag and how i looked uh really looked like how he would look like and so my mom has still not come to a show of mine and seen me perform but the but the good thing about it is that my mom is now after you know three and a half years that I've been doing drag four years but now uh, the past couple of months she's been wanting to see me in drag and she tried to make it out to WeHo Pride where uh, I was the first ever king to perform and now she's gonna come see me at my drag brunch on the twenty eighth uh, it's been it's been a long 
hard journey for me and my family with my drag because I'm the first ever trans person in my family to ever exist and to come out and be proud of my life. And I had to, I had to stand up for myself and my happiness by isolating myself for them from a while. So that way I was able to grow as a person, you know, now, now they love my drag. Now they know who Johnny is. I remember the first time my mom found out my drag name, it was at Wigs and Waffles and at the standard at the time, this was pre COVID we were celebrating my sister's birthday and they were just like, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And then my mom was just kind of like, why are they calling her Johnny? And I was like, cause that's my drag name. And she started crying and I was like, I did it because I wanted to pay homage to my older brother. She, she started crying and she gave me a big hug and she's like, that really means a lot. And I was like, yeah, I just felt like he was always a part of me. And so, um, so yeah, it's gotten better. Yeah, it's gotten better. Um, my, my, my family is working, getting there. Feels nice that they now want to come and see me perform. So it's I'm good. sure that they'll get around it. It's, it must be hard, especially mm-hmm. for conservative families. I grew up, was born and raised in Mexico. And like to this day, my mom doesn't know that I do drag. <laughs> like, cause she still lives uh, you oh my know, God. in different cities. <laughs> it's crazy that it's such a huge part of me that is like hidden completely from her. But like coming out was hard for me, like to come out just as gay. Because at mm-hmm. 16, I knew that I was a homosexual. So it's like, let's come out. I, I used yeah. to watch a lot of MTV, <laughs> a lot of like, you know, true life or like whatever. <laughs> and like, I right. thought like, oh my God, like if that. they accept them on TV, like they're going to accept me, right? And wrong. I was like, no, mm-hmm. it didn't happen that way. So when my mom finally came around to like be, oh, like, I love you, whatever. Uh, the, the thing that she told me was like, the one thing I don't want you to do is to dress up as a woman. And now I'm like, oop. I don't know why. I don't know exactly why it was. I'm not sure if it's like internalized transphobia, whatever the case may be. But I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do this. Like how? And it's not until like I moved out of their house that I was like able to experiment with drag. And, and every time that she visits, I have to like put everything away, like all the wigs, all the makeup, mm-hmm. everything. So my mom, so like it was kind of similar. My mom was very much like when I came out as lesbian, uh, she was just like, it took her a while. She kind of paused because I said it for on my birthday. And uh, and she was just kind of like, I, I love you. I still love you. And you can tell that like she didn't know how to respond to it. But she she ultimately afterwards was like, OK, as long as you don't become a butch like or or don't or don't don't date bitches, you know, make sure to get like feminine uh, partners. And I'm like, OK, first off, not my type. Second of all, um, why is that so important? It's because I guess in my head, the way I processed it is like, well, if I'm the masculine one and then I have a feminine partner, then it looks like a straight-esque partnership and that I'm the, I'm the machismo one, but mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not, I'm the feminine one. I just take testosterone. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's easier for them to digest, you know, to like, you know, mm-hmm. come around the idea of homosexuality and queerness and it's a lot of that of learning, on learning, I would say that we have Latino com- Latina communities have to do around LGBT. Yeah, issues. it's it's yeah, it's it's uh it's redefining the stereotypes that our culture has put upon us. I mean, I found out 
I came out to my my abuelita uh, in 2018 when she came for my my graduation. I came out to her as a lesbian. She was very open about it. And this is a lady that's like, you know, she was 70 something years old. And mm-hmm. she, you know, she would, she just went balls out just telling me like, oh, so this, this Thea is gay. This one, Thea's gay. <laughs> this one, this one. And then apparently she, she told me that like, she, like, I didn't know this when I was 16. I lived there for three months and everybody knew her. All the gays knew her and I didn't know why. And she told me, she's like, yeah, I have the drag shows at my house what? and they get ready at the, at, at the house. So they know Mercedita. And apparently like she was known as like the Liza Minnelli at La Pacentro in Nicaragua. And I was like, what the fuck? The drag man? abuelita. <laughs> the drag abuelita. Like I was like, what the fuck? So it was, it was just so mind blowing and it made so much sense to me. Once I, my grandma started to talk to my parents about it, like, you know, they, they were starting to, uh, she kind of forced it on them. Like, don't stereotype them because if you are, I'm going to get you. And mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> I was like, thanks, Abuelita. I appreciate that. Mm-mm. I love you. Abuela. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. That is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. so, it's so important to have somebody, at least one person in your corner from your family. I love that your abuelita was that person. Yeah, I mean, she she lived in Nicaragua, so I didn't see her much, and we weren't really close. But uh, she was always really, really supportive of me. She uh, she would tell me if my girlfriends or my partners were really cute, and then <laughs> she's like, she would tell me this one's a good one. And you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, I lost her during the pandemic back in two twenty twenty twenty. She was she was such a great support system, and she kind of taught my older sister who's like my biggest rock uh through all of this just taught her how to be a great ally and and great mother to a lgbtq person so i'm very thankful for her for that so Uh abuelita's legacy that's beautiful Mm -hmm. now now they now that she has a grandson-esque person that does drag living the fantasy I'm sure she would be front row at one of your shows. I'm sure she'd be living. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God. This is the same woman that literally told, like, would see us having drinks. And if we didn't finish it, she's just like, you better finish that drink because that shit is expensive. So you better drink that shit. And I was like, okay. I was like, mom. I was like, Abuelita, you're a thug for real. (laughs) You don't say no to Abuelita, so chug. (laughs) Okay, chug it. So we talked about how you discovered drag for the first time. Did that have anything to do with you transitioning or is that something that you've always felt? Like what came first, transitioning or or drag? Drag definitely came first. I loved dressing up. I loved dressing up. I loved performing. I've been a performer since I was 12 years old. And I, I just, I felt free. And I felt just adrenaline and happiness every time I was in drag. And whenever I was in like, and it, and, it, and it encouraged me to go and be more, be brave enough to dress more androgynous and more kind of masculine-esque, which was really hard because, you know, living in a, in a conservative family at that time, it was very much like, hey, I'm, I'm very obviously queer. And it's, it's very terrifying, but drag gave me that courage to to get to there and when it came to my transition I, th- I feel like it was 
like a lot of people in the LGBTQ community, that when you're stuck in a pandemic and you're having to spend a lot of time with yourself, for me, I didn't have my safe spaces of like my my queer bars in LA because um, I wouldn't I was never really home because I didn't feel welcome for myself there. So I would just keep myself busy enough in LA to just stay there for like every other day. So when I was stuck in my room in the pandemic, surrounded by my family, not having a sense of community and understanding, um, started to reflect more on myself and started to look at myself more in the mirror and see where the unhappiness is coming from. I watched a lot of documentaries, you know, read up a lot, and I never really felt confident with my my breasts. Um, I would always compress them and stuff. And I had started doing binding right before the pandemic. And then um, I just kind of got to a place where I got rid of my bras, anything feminine, I got rid of it. And um, I slowly, in secret, started the process of getting top surgery. As the more gender therapy and regular therapy I was going through and expressing myself and learning things about myself, I started to realize that I am trans. And at that time, I just figured I was like non-binary trans, but, uh, and I was okay with that. And it was really, really nice. Um, so I started the process of uh, getting through trying to get top surgery. And uh, eight months later, I, I got top surgery and it was the most liberating experience of my life. And I don't, it's the best thing I've ever had in my life, I think. Once I saw my chest for the first time and I saw my stitches and I looked at myself in the mirror, I was like, this is the person I want to be. The more I went to gender therapy and started to express and explore and get to know myself, um, I realized that I wanted to try, try testosterone because I was like, if I like it, if I like the results, then I'll keep it. If not, you know, we'll, I, you know, I, at least I tried it. So a month after my top surgery, I took my first tee shot and it, it, it became history from there. I, I have never felt more myself than I do now. I'm not scared of my voice anymore. Uh, since I was a kid, I never really liked my voice and I didn't like hearing myself. And now I can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to listen uh, to myself all the time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, my, my body has changed so much and I'm getting facial hair and, you know, my metabolism has gone crazy and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, like I made a post about it where it's like, you know, I, I, I gained some poundage. I'm not the fit trans boy. That's all on Instagram. Like <laughs> The stereotypical so image. Yeah. And, you know, but. I look at myself in the mirror and I'm happy and I have a freedom of like being able to label myself the way I want to be labeled. And, you know, I, for myself, identify as like a two-spirited non-binary person where on the outside, I am very trans masculine presenting and that gives me confidence, but my femininity is in, my soul and in my personality and for me that is gender fluidity at 
that I never thought I would be able to happily express in my life. So, um, yeah, my transition journey has been great. It's been hard. I I had to move out of my parents' house uh, when I announced that I got I was getting top surgery because I didn't feel comfortable. And um, you know they they were they were telling me you know like why am I changing what God what God gave me and and I'm doing it because it's popular. You know, just saying some really fucked up shit that they now regret and have apologized for you know so I, I i moved out i i literally packed one luggage my partner uh now spouse uh drove from studio city all the way to montclair which is about 46 miles and picked me up and i moved in and never went back it was the hardest time in my life but it was also the gra- greatest time because Sometimes my chosen family was there yeah, sometimes yeah. you have to cut relationships with your blood family because all these things, right? And like, especially again, in conservative families, like the ones that we grew up in, it's like not healthy for yeah. yourself to surround yourself by that kind of people or, you know, at least separate yourself a little bit and give yourself your own space to be who you are and to grow into who you want to be. All right, so let's talk about Dapper Post. It's the first drag show that is all King cast, right? It is the first and only Drag King brunch in downtown LA. It is at 10, uh, I call it 10 DTLA, but it's called uh, 10 and 10 and a half uh, bar right across the street from Precinct in downtown LA. Me and my drag sister, Alize, collaborated on uh, producing the show because originally it was in red line, but there wasn't a lot of momentum happening. So I made the decision to leave. I didn't want to give up on the show because it was a really great show and a lot of people loved it. I was able to talk to 10 DTLA and they were very much excited because apparently they, when I messaged them, they were actually starting to uh, see how they can make more drag king shows at the venue. You know, I met with them, I, did, I took a tour um they gave me you know an audition show which was such a great hit we had great sales we were able to have a good show everybody was having fun we made it very inclusive by uh encouraging to have mocktails for people who are sober you know just had a fun time making this amazing drag king brunch and um i really wanted to make sure that there was uh, dra- more drag king shows because the the problem that we have here and in general is in Southern California, there's probably only five to 10 drag king shows all around. There that is, is very little compared to all the drag queen shows that is around. So little. Exactly. So we, it's to, the fact that there's possibly like five to 10, even 15, maybe that's just like maybe a miracle or whatever. But the fact that there's only that amount uh, compared to the hundreds of dry queen shows, hundreds, (laughs) I'm talking hundreds, everybody and their mama has a drag queen brunch. Yeah, literally, literally. (laughs) So, um, so for, for me, I, um, my dream has always been to make dry king shows uh, more in the city 
where people can feel welcome, can feel accepted, where it's just not only about, you know, queens, it's about kings, you know, where it's a, a safe environment for for lesbians, bisexuals, asexuals, you know, all forms of life and genders. And they can just have so much fun. And so we are now officially a monthly show, uh, 10 DTLA. And um, yeah, so um, hopefully uh, we can merge it into a bi-monthly show where we have two brunches a month. But uh, we are so, so happy with the turnout and the support. Um, Hopefully this can be a... Uh, an opportunity for people and producers and venues to see that dry king shows are an asset and a necessity in our dry community and that um you know that we can just turn out as much as anybody else can so dapper puss is right now it's dapper puss the brunch it's ten dollar admission just to come and chill we have um we have a brunch buffet uh, it's the first ever and only um, dra- all drag king brunch in downtown LA. This so. is huge. This is yeah, really, really big because not only like in brunches, there needs to be more representation in shows in general. If you see like a weekend yeah. of shows in, in LA, maybe one or two has at least one drag king. And it, it, the, the rest is yeah. just like a cast of queens. And like, I love seeing yeah. kings. I've never, I hadn't had the pleasure to see you in, in person. But from the videos that I've seen, it's just a ball of energy and camp and just like more of this. We need more variety. And I also love that you talk yeah. about like it's, spaces, it's... safe spaces for the community, because a lot of gay bars are very much catered to mm-hmm. cisgender, sometimes white gay males, or sometimes they even cater for like straight people. They're not even catered to gay people anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I go to certain bars and I'm like, um, yeah. what is going on? 95% of people are celebrating mm-hmm. a bachelorette. Everyone's white. Uh, we need to do better. And I love that you're opening doors right? for that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's important because for myself, I know whenever I go to like a brunch or if I go to a queer event, sometimes it's just mostly white cis people. And... I know for myself growing up, I was always surrounded by brown and, you know, all colors of the rainbow around me. Um, But I always felt like a, like a token, like a token Latinx person for people. So for myself, I have that trauma still as an adult. Being a king and especially being a trans uh, Latina king in a queen world, it's very hard to show that you are talented or that you're sellable. Like I've had multiple venues um, tell me I'm unsellable and that a king's not gonna bring money. And if they book a king, it's usually like a like a white king. As great as a, of a representation as it is, just because you bring in one king out of like every five shows that you do, that's not proper representation. Also, if you're if they're majority white, that's not proper representation. That's not a diverse cast. Right. If more producers would be more open to the aspect of like hiring a king and hiring, you know, a BIPOC and, and all these things that like the shows might be even more better. They might be very unpredictable. 
which makes it even better and sellable. And it's for myself, I'm, I'm hoping and it's getting there slowly, very slowly, but, um, you know, there are Kings being recognized and, uh, the good thing about it is, uh, majority of them are, are BIPOC and, um, or, and, or are trans and envy. And that's, that for me is, is one step closer to a more diverse and equal drag community because, you know, we can't, we can't be diverse and we can't have this world of like kings and queens against each other it's like why don't we just come together y'all like we just want to make coin like everybody seriously we have a lot of similar goals we go through a lot of the same struggles like what the hell because i feel like a lot of uh, people in the you know drag business is this way that like they see you know a bar as something that they own and i'm like girl you just have a show there every week like it's not your show and i can see how you know bringing more people is like a threat to them in some way because they feel like they're gonna yeah. lose you know their whatever they have going on over there but it's it's kind of stupid yeah 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 they're they're coins or whatever they call it but like no it's kind of dumb like there's mm-hmm. room for everybody the fact that you're getting opportunities it doesn't mean less opportunity for me or for everybody else and i feel like that's what they see it mm-hmm. you know with, with the upbringing of different diverse performers or performers that are not necessarily a drag queen. Exactly. And that's, that's, but that's like, for me at least, like, that's the fun of it. That's the beauty of drag. You know, like, I can't stand my pet peeve as a drag performer is performers who just walk around lip syncing and they just pick up money. Same. It's like, girl. Same. Oh. I'm like, girl, God. I can do that too. I can do that too. Guess what? I'm handsome and I can I know I'm a lip sync assassin, bitch. I yes. love to lip sync. I've been lip syncing since I was three. Okay. <laughs> since like, back in elementary school. <laughs> back in elementary school. I didn't even know I was doing it, but I loved lip syncing to my radio. You know, I can do it too, but I don't because I got into drag because I love performing. I love telling the story. You know, outside of drag, I'm a producer in TV and film and stuff. And for me, the way to make money is to tell a story, connect with the audience, make sure that you're giving an experience. The experience is the sell. And that's always the main focus for me in every show that I do. It's not always like that. I've I've paid performers out of my own paycheck, like because they deserve it. And I don't. I want to pay my performers properly. As they deserve, yeah. As you should. As they deserve, yeah. And But it's like, it's not about the money. It's about the environment that I'm, I want to create for people that don't feel like they fit into the norms of like Hamburger Mary's or, you know, WeHo or anything like that. It's, it's about here is a safe space for you. Here is a space where you can bring your friends whether you're a gay man, whether you're a trans woman, whether you're whatever fuck, you can be a unicorn. I don't fucking care. Like, you know, here's a drink. Here's a mocktail. Take a seat. Enjoy the brunch. And let me entertain you. Let me have, let's have fun today. That's what a show should be. It should be like that. And, and it's great that you're seeing it like that. For a lot of people, it's about the money, as we, we've been talking yeah. about, right? It's about, like, how many bars sell. It's about, like, how many tickets do we sell. I love RuPaul's Drag Race. Don't get me wrong. I'm also a huge fan, and I've seen 
every mm-hmm. season. I feel like that's one thing that yeah, it's yeah. probably like done to hinder the community, to damage it. Because ever since it became so mainstream and so popular, a lot of bar owners see it as a source of income or see drag as a source of income instead of what it used to be. A space for queer people, a space where you don't have to necessarily fit in, you just can go and have a good time. Yeah, it was also like, it was a form of rebellion. It was a form of... uh of rebelling against societal norms that uh, you should be ashamed of being queer. You should be, uh, you know, you should hide your femininity or masculinity or flamboyance or anything like that. And, you know, the, the base, the base of drag Kings was out of, was the origin that where it came from was to show that, you know, to mock, masculinity and toxic masculinity in society and you know just kind of making fun of it and Mm. now the kingdom uh has formed into our own definition of what we see and what we define as being masculine you know whether that's you know being doing a striptease where you know my dick is literally a stuffed pony (laughs) like on my underwear you know or you know, me as General Shang, like doing karate moves to be a man and then just transform into being in a corset and being a drag queen as as General Shang, you know, with a mustache and everything like it's that's the beauty of drag. And the fact that, like you said, restaurants and stuff and bars see since RuPaul's Drag Race that like drag drag queens are the only way to make money but at the end of the day drag was created as a sense of freedom it was an art form of rebellion to say we are queer we're proud and we shouldn't let society define us that for me is what drag means to me and why it's so important um and why i i love and i cherish this community so much and and i have such a big passion for it so i just yeah that's, it shows that you have such I a good passion <laughs> no i love it because it shows that you have you're so passionate about this that you want more representation and like bar owners if you are listening uh please do better please hire kings please hire trans and mb performers there's room for everybody yes there's room for everybody and even though you know i can't make splits or anything i can make a magic mic performance real well okay <laughs> and I was going through your Instagram and I love your and your uh Woody no like little number. I was like, oh my god, this is insane and I'm here for it. <laughs> but it's like that's the beauty of, of Kings though. It's like it's it, we you know, some of us can't do the splits, we can't do death drops, we can't do all this stuff, but there are some wacky ideas that we come up with. So that it's like, so good. What? <laughs> It's like, huh? Why? Where did that come from? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm exactly I'm seeing, but I'm entertained. Like for me, drag is like, if as long as I'm entertained, like please take my money, take my energy. Like you can look stunning yeah, as exactly. a queen or as a king and look great, but if I'm not entertained, I'm like, goodbye. Exactly. I'm like, I'm bored, and I've told that at competitions when I've judged, judged them. I'm like, this was cute. Mm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like that was cute you look flawless but that wasn't a performance and then i get booed and then i'm like well you try judging (laughs) exactly you try doing drag for this many years and then we'll talk right 
you you talk to me when you get your ass like tapped by dry queens in the backstage okay bitch you honey oh my god <laughs> have you ever felt tokenized as like drag king in a queen's world that you feel like you're being booked there just because they want a king on the show i felt that a couple of times for sure that was mostly in the beginning of when i was starting to get more respected in the community I would just get booked for these shows. I didn't know who anybody was, but they were just like, it's the one drag king that we have. And then I'm like, okay, work. And then I, you know, I didn't know anybody. The pandemic kind of made me a little introverted when I'm out of drag. So I'm just very intimidated by the queens all the time and, and, and stuff. But when I just hit the stage, like I just go, I just do my thing. I black out. And for me, that that makes my day all the time and I love performing for that reason and luckily at those shows the people that I was booked with would see me and they were like damn I didn't know you could do that and I was <laughs> like well yeah that's why I got booked exactly like and it, even if you did it out of like just to put me as like the token kid best believe I'm gonna show you why I'm I should never be a token person <laughs> Exactly. It's not how you get the book there. It's what you can do with that booking afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And when I wanted to branch out into WeHo, um, I, I just did Billy Francesca's drag competition. And it's all audience-based and stuff. And I never got to like, and I think I made it to like top two or something. I don't remember. But like, I just kept going and going and getting booked. And Billy... And I just formed this great friendship and relationship where he he helped me get a platform. He put me on the news. He gave me, he's the reason why I'm the first ever king to perform and produce a half hour of Dress Drag Kings for WeHo Pride, which is the first time in history was because I just, I just kept showing up and I was like, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And I always challenged myself and showed my art to these people and even though I didn't win I gained respect and that's something that I have always strived to do because uh, I never want to be a token anything yeah respect so, is a hundred times more important than any cash prize at any competition you've done exactly. so much you've done like you know the first ever dragging segment at WeHo Pride you were on the local news I was seeing that soon here in SoCal you have the only permanent dragging branch like what's next for you or your ultimate goal for drag my 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 dream dream like i don't know if it'll come true but i'm just putting it out in the earth if i could i would love to be a a permanent professional drag king tour tour the world also keep producing inclusive shows you know i love to act uh love doing that i also love to write and produce for film and television and and you know but performing is is my biggest passion since I was a kid and I would love that I've been asked multiple times why I haven't auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race and hopefully whether it's soon or you know years from now hopefully maybe I can be on that one day um but for right now my my main mission is just to keep doing what I love which is doing drag, producing inclusive shows, and hopefully branch out from there um, and influence other people to do more drag king shows at their venues. Now I'm also uh, like booking coordinator for 
with my two comadres, uh, Eden and Jay, who are influencers, and just made the first ever Women Love Women queer reggaeton party in Los Angeles. What? So, okay, let's talk about this for a little <laughs> bit, because I love reggaeton. Yeah. Is yeah. this a, just a women-on-women reggaeton party in LA? No, it's actually, we, we, we publicize it like that, because me, my spouse, Trey, is their drag name. Me, Eden and Jay, and Trey, we all kind of talked about the same issue of going to these big uh, kind of like queer AFAB parties where it was like all, it was all focused mainly on like white cis women. And there wasn't like places where like brown or black, like or BIPOC people can like have fun together and just like vibe and celebrate culture and it's just like have fun. So they invented Preciosa Night, which is uh, as of right now, they're trying to make it into a monthly party in different locations. And so it's a full reggaeton night with drag kings at midnight. And so I help book the drag kings and I'm their new host for it permanently. And the whole point of it is to just have a safe space uh, for BIPOC AFABs and people in general to just party, enjoy reggaeton. We have some salsa lessons, hey. you know, piñatas, like Latino uh, vendors for the next show. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. Our next one is in October 15th at Catch One in LA. Our plan is to hopefully expand it to uh, different cities because apparently a lot of people would love that kind of space and party at their cities so it's good it's fun no i'm sure a lot of people like want this in this city there's a lot of people that identify with with that kind of culture with that kind of vibe you know that they just want to do Mm -hmm. that just show up have a good time not worrying about like you know people looking at you weird or anything like that playing Mm -hmm. the music that you like even in i live in long beach and it's such a latina city but like, there's not a club yeah. that I can go and like dance reggaeton to, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. we need more spaces like that. Yeah, we we actually had our last event in in Long Beach at Roxanne's. It was so big that the bar had to close us down early because the neighbors were complaining and they weren't expecting that many people. I think we had about 500 guests there. So now you know we're. We're looking at bigger venues to host, you know, that same amount or more and and uh, just have it as a as an open night for people who just want to hang out with their people and maybe mingle with some queers and, you know, maybe make out, maybe grind on each other. Maybe do poppers. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Do whatever you want. But, you know, just have a good, safe space. Uh, to just like be yourself, dance some reggaeton, like have some salsa, let's do this, you know? So yeah, those are the plans that I have for now. And I just want to continue doing what I love, which is drag and, and producing. Yes. Johnny, we are Yay. running out of time, but this was amazing. <laughs> I love chatting with you. Honestly, we need to do this in person. Oh my God. Yes. Anytime, anytime, all the time, every day. Let's do it. I'm always down. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Johnny the Gent LA, and also you can follow uh, if you want to follow uh, Dapper Puss and our brunches and shows that come up. Uh, go follow us at Dapper Puss DK. 
on Instagram. All right. You won't regret it. Trust me. I follow Johnny for a while now. And his page is everything from like so much fun to like harm, warming posts is everything you want on Instagram. So you're missing out if you're not following him. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you, love. Of course. Thank you for blush. being my guest. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, such an honor. Oh, my God. Big hug. I'm sending you a big hug. Big right virtual now. hug. <laughs> thank you all for listening. I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to 100 Steps to Drag. If you like my podcast, please leave me a review. If you didn't like it, um, you can keep that for yourself. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.